Being the Worst, Episode 21, recorded Tuesday, December 18th, 2012. From beingtheworst.com, it's the Being the Worst podcast. Audio apprenticeships for the aspiring software craftsman. With your hosts, Carrie Street and Renat Abdulin. In this episode, Carrie and Renat start the discussion with a context map that has several bounded contexts. They use their conversation to refine the context map and carve out the initial keywords of the core domain's ubiquitous language. And now, here are Carrie and Renat. Okay, Renat, I spent a little bit of time trying to scribble down a context map, and I started with your blog post, and it was nice, pretty Visio diagrams with simple words on it, and my initial sketch started with like five uh, very easy round circles with simple words in them, and then uh, I couldn't help myself, and I started writing down every other word I saw in the last uh, 30 minutes, and uh, so it went from uh, relatively easy to read to kind of a messy graph paper. So uh, I sent that to you, and I know eventually we'll get into that. So that was my homework. I took a stab at it. It was actually really helpful to get an understanding of the getting things done domain for me, but I'm not overly thrilled with the first draft of my uh, context map, but I know we're going to chop that up in this uh, episode and get into how we're going to turn this blob into something manageable and where are we going to start. Uh, and actually, thanks for all of doing homework. And I think like the image that you sent me with this uh, sheet of paper and all the words that you were trying to put there, it would definitely be worth putting into the reference notes of, of the episode because that's a really good starting point. Because when people usually think about the context map, it's really hard to visualize and to picture. Like where does, do we start? How do we try to approach the thing? And what would look the good result or slightly offset result look like? Okay, sure. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll definitely include that wherever we do in the blog post or the repo. And maybe even if we end up chopping some of it up, if I start writing on my notes, I'll take a before and after a little bit. If we come to a conclusion on where some of the boundaries are and where we might actually start when we uh, start to implement some stuff. Yeah, terrific, definitely. Okay, so the idea of uh, the current episode, and it's probably session, and it might be extremely boring for the listeners, uh, the idea is to somehow think and look at that mess that we currently have, the stuff that we call our future learning project, and maybe by looking at it from the different angles to be able to dissect it and to uh, identify parts that can be deferred, the parts that have to come together. In essence, we start by identifying boundaries in different planes of existence, like in the linguistic plane of existence, in the implementation plane of existence, maybe on the priority planes of existence, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. Okay? And actually with you, we're in a rather unique way because we haven't actually even met physically before. Right. Hopefully that will be fixed sometime later. Mm-hmm. So we can't refer to the most efficient way of collaboration, sitting and talking person to person. So we need to find some way to actually do more or less efficient. And here, that, uh, the stuff that we'll be going through, it is an example of how methodology, development methodology, and also design methodology, it has to adapt to the environment of the project. Because if somebody thinks, okay, so I'm starting a new project and I'll be using XP and Scrum and Agile everywhere or I'll be using Waterfall everywhere without actually thinking about the specific of the projects, probably he's going to be doomed because different methodologies, different tools, different collaboration techniques, uh, different approaches for designing your system, they have to be 
chosen really carefully to match the specific case. And hopefully uh, this uh, being the worst podcast of the subsequent episodes will demonstrate that by carefully choosing and waiting and prioritizing stuff, you can get the combination that lets you deliver stuff quickly and efficiently. Okay? Cool. Yep, sounds good. Okay, so uh, we can start with a really simple hack. Something simple that can work for the developers collaborating remotely. It's Google Docs. Okay. Uh, so I'm sending you a link to uh, Google Doc that mm-hmm. I've opened. Okay. Do you see it? Yep, and it opened up uh, sort of their you know online word processor. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay, so this the final document that will be available there. It will be included in the reference notes. So that's our kind of outline for today to start with. So I assert that the the whole idea of the mission is to explore methodologies of software design and development by applying them to deliver online task management tool. So as you can see, like here, we're not trying to achieve financial gains. We're not trying to gain maybe a popularity. We're not trying to do something that will be inherently understandable by lots of people. We're just trying to explore and maybe to explore by practicing and sharing some results. Yep, and I think you'll see at the top of my sketch there, that's sort of what I started first with, you know, what what is this thing about? What are we trying to do? Really, at, at the top, the GTD is obviously getting things done. You know, if, if the software works right, supposedly the book promises stress-free productivity, so that's the literal software goal. OSS, I put up there, it's going to be open source. And then I underline learning sample just to remind us that we do want to get this working, but if we have to make some tough decisions, we might err on the side of uh, more verbose code or something like that to make it more understandable to whoever's going to consume this. That's what I wrote at the top there. And then on the left-hand side, I had an open question to be discussed, which was, as we're modeling the domain, what is the actual source of truth? How do we know if we have a disagreement? How far we're willing to go to interpret the book versus... Nope, God came down from the mountaintop or whatever, and the Bible was written, and we follow David Allen's book, and if it's not in the book, we're not doing it. You know, that, those kinds of decisions on what the source of truth is for the domain. Okay, good. So, so for the listeners that are obviously not uh, seeing this Google Doc uh, being opened, as Carrie was talking about some stuff, I was starting to put them in the simple Word document. And hopefully, Carrie, did you actually see as I was typing them? Yes, I did, actually. And technically, you should be able to type in there as well. So uh, Google Docs supports like almost real-time collaboration there. I'm yeah. trying to type right now. I'm not logged in. See this? You do, you do type. Okay. Yeah, I clicked on the link you sent me, and I did not have to be logged into anything. I'm not signed into Google right now with my Gmail account or anything. So cool. Uh, so let's start uh, with the ubiquitous language. Like That's one of the starting grounds. And by paying close attention to the language. First step is if we go through the core concepts of the system, if we establish them, then we'll have a clear domain. And second is that I know in advance that since we're using event sourcing and messaging, and we asserted that messages have to be carefully crafted according to the real world concepts. So ubiquitous language will be really important. And so by exploring the part of the domain, part of this huge mess, the part that we'll know that will be important, we're kind of slicing away a bit of complexity. So we're talking about the getting things done methodology, methodology which helps first to capture thoughts and problems that people are facing in their everyday lives. Mm-hmm. And basically the purpose here is to, like if I, I'm walking around the street and I get this crazy idea about the startup, if I let this idea keep on rolling on my brain, 
with all the other ideas and things I have to do. It will basically occupy my uh, CPU and slow me down. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the third principle of getting things done is to capture thoughts uh, in some reliable place where they can be processed later. And by doing that, you empty your brain and you let it like stay more efficient and focus on the tasks at hand. Yep, that's on my diagram on the top left there. They seem to like they're using the word stuff to just be in stuff that's on your mind. And the goal is to clear your head and be in the ready state so that you're not thinking about these things. Exactly. So it seems like on that part of it, you're trying to first solve the keep your mind focused and ready at the ta- on the task at hand. And if it can't do that, if you got all these things floating around. So step one is use whatever you have to, to get that stuff out of your head and into your collection system, uh, whatever that is. So we're talking probably about capture, mm-hmm. capture stuff. Yep. Capture stuff. Capture stuff. Okay. That's maybe not the best ubiquitous language to start with, but so far, like as long as we're agreed so far, uh, it's a good starting point. So uh, the first step, as I believe, in the getting things on methodology, well, it's one of the first steps, is to capture the stuff that happens to us in everyday life so that we can uh, clean up the brain and move forward. And wh- while capturing that, this stuff has to be captured somewhere reliably. So sometime, sometime later, we can actually look back at all the captured ideas, all, at all these crazy startup things, at all the grocery groceries that we have to buy, and then we can somehow process them and uh, deal with them later. Yep. And if I'm not mistaken, in the Getting Things Done book, the step, uh, the process of processing, it involves either doing things that are important and can be done quickly, like in two minutes or in 30 seconds, because it's not worth keeping this task in your system and actually paying off uh, the overhead of switching to that task and thinking about that task again when you can actually do it on the spot. The second thing that you can do is to delete the item if you, on a second thought, consider it to be non-important, or you can organize it or delegate it. And if I'm mistaken, uh, organization part, it means that when you're looking for the stuff in your inbox, you take the items that have to be done and you call them actions or to-dos or tasks. Mm -hmm. So one additional term that can be used is actionable item, maybe. Yeah, yep. Actionable item, it's uh, something that has to be done, something that can be done. Or actually not even something that can be done, it's call for action. And as such, it's uh, the call for action, it's already contains next step. Um, on my brief reading of the intro of the book so far, there is an emphasis yep. on actions all over the place, but probably the most important type of action is the next action, the single next physical action that's probably the most important thing to identify in the action bucket, which is, yes, a project can have hundreds of actions to get to the done state, but you need to decide right now in the thinking phase, what is the next thing you could actually do? And there's attributes that go with it. You know, where, where, what do you need? What context and what people and all that. But the next action is extremely important. Yeah. And so while talking about this uh, process, I absolutely agree with you on that. You mentioned the uh, additional keyword, and uh, that's what we're doing while doing the domain modeling. We're looking for the keywords that somehow blend into the speech, but they trigger the reaction of everybody. Everybody immediately understands what they mean. Mm-hmm. So you project. Yes. So when you're 
about the actions. You've said something like uh, actions, uh, project can have multiple actions. Yes. So uh, that's additional keyword that comes from the getting things done methodology and it's being used everywhere around. Or to be more precise, it's something like personal project. And personal project, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's a task. It's something that requires multiple steps to execute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen like single action projects or something too, but yeah, generally. Well, single action project, uh, sequential and parallel projects are just projects with different semantics. And they help the software to, to better suggest the next possible action. Mm-hmm. So it's just a heuristic that is exploited by the software. Now, one additional uh, keyword that you mentioned and that showed in the speech, it was context. Mm-hmm. Or it, let's call it, uh, is it step? Well, uh, probably we're talking actionable step. Okay, uh, step context. So context, it's a resource or something essential to the execution of the step. Something is, uh, that is associated with that. On my scribbled map there, I had, under context, I had where do you need to be, what tools do you need, like phones or email or whatever, uh, your computer, and then who might you need, what people, and things like that. So, okay, uh, some, uh, one thing that we can describe with this is like what condition has to be fulfilled to complete the step. In other words, if I have uh, a task or a step uh, related to the grocery shopping, then obviously one, one of the context is grocery store mm-hmm. because I have there in order to be uh, to do shopping. So uh, context in the getting things done environment, they help to organize or to tag actions, tasks, or steps. We're, we're not currently sure on the, ex- like the exact word. And they help to tag them. And then when you are in that context, you can actually search by tags automatically using the software features to see which steps can be executed while you are in this environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, like one of the way people organize their systems, their tasks, their everyday lives, is to have some tasks, as, for instance, assigned to people, boss, manager, tech lead. And when they come finally to get this meeting with this person during the day, and they, they can actually look up at the list of the questions or thoughts or ideas that were associated to that person. Yep. Okay, so basically, uh, while I'm, I'm with you, uh, I met you to do this, uh, to, uh, to discuss the project A, but actually, since I'm looking at my getting things done tool, and I see that I had small smaller question on project B and or project C. So while talking to that person, normally you'd be able to focus only on one project, the most important stuff. But since you're already prepared and easy to execute tasks in your system, you can quickly run them for the manager, uh, basically ask the question that was listed, for instance, in the task, and you'd be able to record that without wasting too much brain power on figuring what to do, because what to do was already written. And then this would allow you to use your time more efficiently, because you no longer need to come to the manager twice or three times. And then this will also allow the secondary projects to move forward. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, we have currently in our ubiquitous language four concepts. It's like to capture stuff and stuff, uh, actionable item or a call for action, uh, personal project, uh, step context. Okay, step context doesn't, and we currently already have the ambiguity here. 
And this ambiguity that we're having here for this sample and really simple domain, it exactly shows the situation that you as listeners uh, might have in other more serious domains. Uh, but people there might be arguing about orders, shipments, product movements, inventory movements, cancellations. I know that uh, exactly for sure because this very day at Loket we're establishing a new project that would help, that would pull data from the customers and it would pull inventory data about like the products that they have and how the products are being moved. And in order to pull the data from them, no matter what system they're using, we have to establish some uniform format. And the best format, the most efficient format for the big data processing and for the integration, it's actually ask them to send us messages or events about like which product moved there, which product was sold. Mm-hmm. And we're actually doing somewhat similar to ubiquitous language cleanup by refining words, by refining statements. For instance, when we were starting, we had a concept of a inventory movement table with movement types as order, back order, or uh, replenishment, sale. These are concepts that are important for the retail uh, industry. Mm-hmm. Probably like it took 24 hours, 12, 12 hours. The terminology changed slightly. So we no longer have inventory movements, but we have inventory events. Because movement kind of implies that the physical good is being moved. Although order order event, it doesn't usually imply the fact that some product has been moved from shelf A to shelf B. It can be an order in e-commerce store, and the physical good can be moved later. And so if we want our customers, when they are integrating with that system, to be able to capture, to catch the ideas as quickly as possible, we have to get really precise, sharp, simple language. And this is kind of getting in their own brains to make sure that the words are chosen in such a way that their brains will snap on and they'll be, they'll be moving without any complications or developing with this platform without any complications. Mm-hmm. And it's extremely important. And it actually helps a lot. So that was a sample for, from the production. Uh, here in this project, we're actually starting to uh, define the ubiquitous language and getting first words. And these words, they will be used not only in the discussions, they'll be used, for instance, in the documentation, they'll be used from now on in the podcast, and they'll be used as classes, as method names, as message contracts. Mm -hmm. How often do you go over that? Like, is this like our first one and we're probably going to look at it? How does it evolve, I guess? Today, it's the place in time where changing this stuff is the easiest way. Okay. It's just one. Mm-hmm. From now on, the friction will only increase. If uh, currently it's possible to get some better words, some more precise words, the more th- the words that kind of feel slightly better to the brain, it might have a huge impact down the road, a huge improvement. Okay. Because as soon as you have the same word used in multiple ca- uh, places in the documentation, it's kind of frozen, and changing that would be a bit complicated. As soon as you have a single word used not only in the documentation but in the code, it's even more frozen. And if you have certain words used, for instance, in a public API or in method names, then it's even more frozen because a lot more people are exposed to that. Okay. I think as we keep going through here, it'll be interesting to see, to review the list and then sort of do that check and say, does, does that word 
seem obvious to most people that speak English or whatever, you know, or is it bringing the right, I don't know, emotion in my head that gives me an automatic instinctive way to know what I'm supposed to be doing or what this thing means? Ideally, it's instinctive, like the words, they should bring instinctive understanding, instinctive expectations that are shared by multiple people from different backgrounds who encounter these words. Mm -hmm. If we are able to nail down these definitions, these terms, this would mean that we actually save a lot on the documentation, we save a lot on the clarifications, because we don't need to explain the obvious, as long as it's really obvious. So from this perspective, the word or the term step context, it kind of looks weird. Yes, I agree. So what can we do here to improve that? Um, if I understand, because you've actually used this methodology um, before, I believe, or you're you're definitely more familiar with the details of the GTD domain right now than I am. So I would have a couple of questions about the context there. So my instinctive assumption about context is this is the way that you tell the system the stuff I mentioned before. You know, I like you said with grocery store, I have a grocery list somewhere. And that grocery list knows that maybe my phone has it stored, what my preferred grocery stores are in general geography. And when my phone GPS knows that I'm near that store, it loads up that shopping list and it knows all I need is my NFC wallet in my pocket and the list and that grocery store. And that's all I need. I don't need my laptop or anything. You know, I don't need to be with any other people, those kinds of things. It knows all the dependencies, I guess for me uh-huh. to complete a, an action. Okay, so... Context makes sense to me. I just don't know if, um, like, if my mom heard context. I'm trying uh-huh. to think of the more obvious word, like, uh, it, you know, if I was speaking to her, I would say, well, th- the problem is, is context sort of summarizes all those different things because you could need people, you could need your tools, you could need whatever. You could need your passport, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Uh well, uh, in the case when uh, somebody is confused, as we are currently, mm-hmm. uh, usually safer to err on this, some uh, existing uh, knowledge, on some existing language. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's usually it's available. For instance, if you are a developer and who is building s- building system for the new startup, uh, usually you don't need to invent that much because although the, the startup and the niche can be completely unique, uh, you can always go to the books that have been written and that contain wealth of information. Mm-hmm. I think in common sense, it's just what do you need? Context is what do you need to get this thing done? You know, it's, it, that's what it is, is what do you need? But that's more of a phrase than a word. <laughs> okay, so context. And probably getting personal out would be shorter. So we have project, we have context. Steps doesn't... Okay, do we use steps or do you use tasks? Well, in GTD, uh, I was. they seem to be using the word action and tasks interchangeably, but are they actually different things? Oh, I'm not sure. Which, things, which feels more natural to you? Um, tasks is used a lot in organizers and stuff, but I don't know. I mean, people say to-do lists. I guess they say they have their tasks and their errands. Um, Project something requiring multiple steps to execute, multiple actions, multiple tasks. <laughs> My I'm shying away from tasks just because it feels so project management-y and not like fun. But you know that word does work. Um, uh, actually, like 
this entire process, like when you're thinking, when you're trying to phrase your words, when you're trying to get the better sounding, better meaning, that might sound like a waste of time, but that's actually what part of the domain capture is. Okay. We're thinking, trying to get something that will sound better. In essence, we're trying, we're playing with words, we're playing with thoughts, we're playing with brains, we're getting into the brains that of people who will be reading our texts based on that. That um, brings up a question in my mind. So I think one approach, depending upon the source of truth and what we're trying to achieve is, I think one way you can do it is you you learn from the actual system and methodology that is defined by getting things done, and you know you know what they are, you and you can interpret them very strictly. You know, it, it literally uses the words project and actions and stuff. It, that those words are in the book. When you're modeling a domain like this, though, it's possible. Uh, I would think that, for example, we may not want to do this, but as an example, would be some people don't like the word project. It feels like work. If it, you know, I don't want to have, I don't want to manage my projects. I want to manage my life goals or my achievements or whatever that what is like. How you model it in the code may not be how I would want to present it in the user interface, for example. You know, I, I don't. I may not want to tell someone they're actually doing their projects because that's boring. I might think of something more exciting than the word project, just because projects and tasks seems like your your life's being micromanaged, for example. So, how strict do we want to be on the language and the book and everything? Okay, the idea here is not to be strict. Uh, maybe we don't even need to care about the language sounding nice and polished for everybody mm-hmm. we're, we're just interested in uh, to make it sound to make it precise and exact and clear and sharp okay. because uh, if we ever end up in a situation where uh, this domain or this system has to be presented to some people maybe like to a certain population or uh, to certain customer group in a way that is pleasant for them mm-hmm. then we can actually go into the detail of this specific subset and talked about their terminology, talked about the, uh, the way that they loved approaching systems, and maybe we'll, instead of project, we'll have something like hobby and, or go. Instead of uh, context, they'll have like a thing you need to love, etc., etc. And then we'll call this separate vocabulary, the separate area, a separate bounded context. Yeah, because that's really the heart of the question, which is when you're when you're modeling this, you, I think you can optimize for language reusability. You know, I think it's pretty ubiquitous across cultures, I would guess, that people know what projects and tasks and actions are. Like, that's pretty universal. And then if you wanted to project those as something to a nine-year-old, call them achievements and fun stuff or whatever, you would have that in its own bounding context. But or, or projection, or UI view, or however you want to do it. You can represent this model in multiple ways to different audiences, I guess is the point. But when we're building this core model, should we tend to err on that more generically applicable language, or should it be very precise to a specific set of users? Well, obviously, if we're developing the core, the core de- car subdomain, it's like we want to have as less friction as possible in all areas, so we'd go for the generic. Okay, cool. I, I tend that seems more ac- more correct. It seems like I'm not making it as precise as I could be for one particular audience, but um, that's to to do that and sacrifice the more uh, universal shareability of the code language. I think isn't worth it. So, uh, and then if the product has to target the specific audience, uh, it, if it has to twist the logic somehow, 
only for like a small part of the business value, then we can uh, like, well, first we identify that this uh, di distinct uh, bounded context with a separate language exists. And then we we'll, uh, might think that our subdomain, our implementation, uh, it will have to cover both a bounded context with one implementation. And maybe this will force this group of people to be exposed to the project's context, tasks, and the dry words. Or we might decide that this group of people is so worth the effort and that they deserve a dedicated web UI or a dedicated smart client, which will actually present the concepts and things to them in their way. Although internally in the code, it will have mapping to the back to the good language, to the proper one. I agree. It seems like that's the way to do. That's the way to create this more common pattern language based on the methodology. And then you can represent that and you can implement that pattern language in multiple ways, I guess. So I think projects good for now. Context, I'm not overly excited about it, but I can't think of anything better. <laughs> so the only thing that might be annoying is it's so a lot of these words might be overloaded in actual programming, you know, like actions and events and tasks. You know, those are words that we literally use in C Sharp. That's why I usually try to add words to the beginning and ends of them. But, you know, I think that might be like a homework assignment is once we get the basics down, because I can overcomplicate this for another four hours or not. So I think we should get the basic words down that like we're doing now that we know are relevant to they make sense to me and you, which means they're kind of universal. They make sense to the known words in the book. And then homework, maybe I can go through there and beat myself up and say, okay, Renat, here's why I hate everything we did, and here's what I want to change it to. <laughs> so, Okay, so to reduce the amount of terminology. So we've mentioned that the project is something requiring multiple steps to execute. So is it still step, or are we going oh. to the task? I would rather have uh, actions or slash tasks. I don't know which word. I'll, I, we'd have to look up like if actions and tasks are different in the methodology because I think they use the word both, but I don't know if they use them as synonyms. But it seems like when you're processing, your whole point is to define the next action. And my understanding is a project is just a bunch of actions that you do over and over again until you call it done. So, so actually, uh, we can. So if action and task uh, feel the same for the simplicity sake mm -hmm. in our language, we can discard the term task completely. Okay. So we have an uh, actionable item, or well, action. Uh, we have a project. We have a context. And we'll, we're when we're talking about the capture stuff, a uh, really good term from the book and from the different software is actually inbox. Mm -hmm. So inbox is the place where you put all the junk, all the stuff that goes in, uh, and then you process it later into the uh, actions into like standalone actions into the projects, assigning them maybe to different contexts. Mm -hmm. Let's have a quick just reaction to that word because I th I think the book actually uses uses many things, but it does use the word collect and not capture. And I think OmniFocus uses capture. And the reasons I like collect is because it's natural to me to know like what does collect mean? It means collect my thoughts, collect all these papers on my desk. Capture to me seems more relevant to like writing, writing stuff down or something. So I think I might like collect more than capture. Okay. So does, I that, does it make sense to you? Well, in my case, capture actually sounds something slightly better as if you were uh, going around with your head full of uh, thoughts like that are buzzing around, distracting them, mm -hmm. you and you just capture and start them somewhere. 
Yes. And have you ever heard the term, you know, you need to collect your thoughts? Uh, not really. Although I spent uh, one year in the high school on the different co- on the opposite coast from you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the only reason I asked that is because because um, I know that the whole the whole point of that step is to basically get the stuff out of your head and to, into your inbox, basically. And okay, so uh, yeah. s- recall it get stuff into inbox. Yeah, whatever that is. Yeah, but it's. It's clearing your mind. It's get it out of your head and into your inbox. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. And so we have uh, inbox. We have action. We have project. And that should be well. Uh, one more. That's fifth uh, term that I've seen uh, in the getting things done, and that actually uh, is quite useful. It's folder. Does it Basically. literally mean like what we all think a folder is, like either on, in your file system or in a real Manila folder? Yeah, some uh, a place which you can use to group stuff together. Okay, cool. Uh, so if you have uh, multiple projects, some projects may be belonging closer together, so it feels natural to it feels natural to put them in, in one folder. So basically, they'll just look as sitting there closer together. When you have multiple contexts, it might feel natural to put them maybe to some folder. For instance, if I have my coworkers and each coworker is a context, then it might feel natural to put them in, into the folder called uh, coworkers. Yeah, and it sounds like that might be the more granular, because I did see in the book they talk about collection buckets and baskets and stuff like that. Are these are folders things you organize even further into those bigger buckets, I guess? Well, bucket or a folder are uh, probably the same. Okay. I like folder better as far as universal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And actually, uh, from the development perspective, uh, projects, well, and technically folders, uh, they can be thought about as queues, persistent queues. Because when you're processing stuff from your inbox, well, inbox is a queue as well, uh, you take the top or like the bottom item, you look at it, maybe you discard it. Uh, maybe you write it, put it to your own calendar outside of the system, or maybe you put it uh, into the queue. Like, for instance, the queue of uh, work to be done at home. Mm-hmm. And then when you're at home and when you're picking up the next, uh, what, what is the next thing I can do at home, you pick up one of the item, uh, one of the actions from the top of the queue. And in, in, in this case, con- queue is context, home context. So... I'm looking at our at the Google Docs here, and we only have uh, six, five bullet points. Or yeah. One, yeah. And so I like how you've added short little definitions next to each one. So, And as I read from the top to the bottom, I can see how it's flowing. And I'm, I'm going to have a question unless you're clarifying it now as you type. I'm going to read that in a second. So I get stuff out of my head in my inbox. I define what the next action is. If I basically can't do it in a couple of minutes, I'm going to probably define a project, which is – Eventually, I can plan the multiple actions required. I note the context I need to be in. What do I need to get it done? And then, so so let's say I have a project called Paint the House, mm-hmm. and I know I need to be at my house, and I need the paint, and I need uh, whatever. I need I list all the stuff and what I need to be able to do. I know I need to be at my house to paint it, though. And then, what would I use for as a folder to, for that project? Well, I'd say it will depend on your uh, methodology and how you organize stuff. Maybe maybe you will not have any folders and you'll have all the projects on the route. Basically, like uh, paint the house, do the work, 
finish the project A, record episode A12, spend an evening, uh, like plan a nice date with your girlfriend, do grocery shopping, etc., etc. Maybe you'll find it natural that having too much stuff uh, directly is too confusing and you would just want to organize it into the folders. Maybe like according to the higher goals in your life or to priorities like family, work, home maintenance, health, etc. Do you view folder as different from categories? Mm, Folders are hierarchical in nature and we're used to them because of Windows Explorer. Mm -hmm. Categories, like uh, you can represent folders with categories, but you can't represent categories with folders because, uh, well, unless you're using symlinks, of course. Mm -hmm. Oh, because I see what you're saying. Yeah, the... Folders, uh, one thing I really like about the folders is that they're less flexible than categories and they actually force you to think, to uh, build hierarchical structure of something, to build an outline mm-hmm. that allows you to go from the high-level perspective of really top-level things like health, family, or if you're doing your getting things done in this way, to more detailed things. Yeah, it's the category of blog posts versus tagging in the blog in the post, basically, but tags versus folder, I guess. Yeah, okay, mm-hmm. that's cool. Okay, so I guess we're good to go with the initially big test language. So uh, when we're, we're talking now uh, about the classes in the code, so when we're saying inbox, action, project, context, folder, that would feel good not only because it already has inherent meaning, but it also because we know that these are the words, these are the names that we both agreed upon. Mm-hmm. So if I'm using that, I'm sticking to something we agreed on, and it will make sense to both of us. And also... As you've probably noticed while discussing this ubiquitous language, we already started touching the subject of boundaries. Like what what are the boundaries of the specific ubiquitous language? Like how these boundaries are interacting? Because you've mentioned the web UI. Mm -hmm. Okay. And this uh, actually brings us uh, to the concept of context map. Using this domain modeling and talking about the ubiquitous language, it's uh, one of the important factors and one of the reasons behind that is to actually discover these boundaries. So, and usually the best way to attack the context map is by drawing. So I'm sending you the link to the uh, online drawing collaboration tool that I've discovered like just 30, 40 minutes ago. Hopefully (laughs) you'll be able to see something if you open the link. And the final image will have to be included in the podcast reference notes. Yep. Okay, so actually... Let me add something else. So uh, we're talking about context and... Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. Okay. You said hobbyists that don't like project methodology, boundary context. That's the gamification, people. Make it seem like a game. I want to earn experience points for brushing my teeth or whatever. <laughs> Actually, and you've mentioned uh, like gamification. The boundary contexts, uh, they define like one of the natural boundaries that we identify. So by paying attention to the language, we identify different areas. One of them like is strict, getting things done boundary context, and the other one is hobbyists. Yeah. You mentioned that actually that's a really good idea, that gamification uh, would be a really interesting uh, approach for the marketing people if they were uh, doing this project to uh, attract these people. Right. 
yeah, gamification and social peer pressure and stuff like that. You know, like, I did it. I did my homework, you know, or whatever. Absolutely. And so the bounded contexts uh, and their relations uh, and actually like the words that are uh, used in them, they help to identify the problem space. Like what are the things that have to be addressed and how are these problems grouped together? And however, like the problems, they are not important by, the sel- by themselves. It's important how we're solving them. And so when somebody is talking about subdomains, uh, subdomains, well, at least it's my uh, personal understanding, subdomains are the solutions to these problems. And so uh, the, one of the problems for the getting things done, context, it's hobbyists. It's secondary bounded context that we might address sometime later. And one of the solutions to this problem is actual gamification. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm adding gamification subdomain. Okay. And also one additional aspect that is important for the uh, to solve properly the hobbyist to to solve probably problems in hobbyist subdomain. Okay, uh, could you just uh, add additional subdomain, which is called like maybe a fluffy language to the uh, hobby bounded context? Okay, as you're as you're adding fluffy language or fluffy looking UI <laughs> domain to the hobbyist bounded context, I'll just talk about the getting things done context. Okay. So uh, in that getting things done context, we have well at least my initial guess. Uh, is that we identified, we can identify uh, three different subdomains, or maybe three different problems. Getting things done domain, it's like the logic that talks about actions, projects, items that implements them on the server or in the client. I believe it's uh, the most important part. As soon as we capture it, and as soon as we expose that, we'll be able to start implementing multiple uh, clients, like a web client, occasional client, or uh, all the stuff that in the hobbyist bounded context. Mm-hmm. And so uh, getting things done domain, it can also be called as core domain. Uh, so getting things done com- uh, domain or core domain, as we call it, it's usually upstream. Like when you're talking about uh, solutions to different problems, when you're talking about the solutions, uh, different solutions can be managed, uh, can be represented with different projects, and these projects can be uh, managed by different teams. And mm-hmm. they can be managed at different times. So, for instance, web client subdomain, it depends on the core domain. Because if core domain is uh, not delivered, then web, web client will not be able to deliver. However, web client fails, then the core domain doesn't really care because it's important on, on its own. If we're talking about occasionally connected clients, if uh, they are downstream from core domain as well, if they fail, we don't care as uh, the core domain will still stay, stay alive. Mm-hmm. And Context map, it, like the approach of doing that, and I absolutely agree with that, is when you're talking about the context map, when you're talking about the current situation in your project, first you identify natural boundaries, for instance, using the, this ubiquitous language capture approach, or by looking at their organizational units in the organization, oh, sorry, organizational boundaries in the company. And then also put on that uh, map uh, existing solutions. So uh, the solutions are called subdomains, and uh, there are three general categories. There is a core domain or core subdomain, like the most important part. There is a generic subdomain. It's usually something that probably is important, but not that important. And sometimes it can actually uh, be bought from the outside uh, company. It can be an existing component. It can be an existing software. And we also have 
third category of uh, subdomains, it's supporting subdomain. Supporting subdomain, it's something that it's not gener generic enough, but, uh, it's not important enough, but it's still kind of required for the entire project to succeed. Okay. Uh, and actually, while we're talking about that, one of the supporting subdomains in within the, not exactly inside the getting things done volume context, it's user management and registration. Because that's something, uh, that's a solution that might partially uh, overlap with getting things done about it context. Well, it, it will definitely be part of the project, but that's something that doesn't fit quite well and maybe we'll find a better, uh, better place for that. So currently I'm just adding one more rectangle mm -hmm. and it will be user management and subscriptions. And actually this subdomain, I'm not sure if it's generic or supporting, but it is something that we don't really need to implement from the very start because, for instance, we can leverage Google Open ID and the Google login process in order to authenticate and manage customers, uh, in order to authenticate and identify users. Mm -hmm. Okay. One additional thing uh, on, while doing the context mapping is how we perceive interactions by different, between different uh, subdomains and how we let these interactions prosper. Because, for instance, if getting things done domain decides to start changing the language, and in our case, language is these messages that will be floating around, then both web client subdomain and occasional subdomain, they'll be kind of messed up. Right. Uh, and one approach, for instance, is to declare a shared kernel or a published language. It's like kind of generic term for something that in the real world can look as defined API or defined contracts. Mm -hmm. Is shared uh, kernel a modeling term or are we just making that up? It's a domain-driven design term. Okay, cool. It's a bit of the, aside from the exact definition, but in this case, shared kernel will be our language. Like the, the terms from the ubiquitous language, like project, action, folder, or also capture task or capture item into the inbox, maybe complete task, complete uh, task in the project, rename project, etc., etc. Mm -hmm. This will be our commands and events originating from the ubiquitous language and originating from the uh, getting things done methodology, and we'll put them into the shared kernel. So they'll be kind of frozen. They'll be, well, they'll be not that flexible, and they'll be used by multiple subdomains for interaction. Yes. By putting something in, or maybe even better, the term, term would be language. But by putting something into the shared kernel or published language, we kind of say that, okay, this is something that we publish, this is something that we all agree on, and that's the common language that we will use for interaction. Mm -hmm. Note that messages as command, commands and events, they kind of don't really need to evolve as long as you capture them exactly, as long as you capture them precisely. So we know that this published, uh, published, published language uh, it will be solid, stable, and still useful for the interaction. Right. It's our. I mean, it's it's our interfaces. Basically, it's our external interfaces. So, uh, and if the podcast works the way I hope it would work, this shared kernel or published. Okay, I'm getting confused with the terminology, but still, let's say published language. Now, uh, this published language that is used for the interaction, but it's also used for the storage because we're using events for the storage. So we can actually integrate the systems not only via some web services uh, where uh, elements and components are pushing messages to each other, but also by the database 
In our case, it's event stream. So one potential, potential case is that when you're working offline and you're storing your entire task portfolio in a file, which is event store, and then you dump the, this file into the Dropbox folder, and then some other component syncs with that Dropbox file, and it discovers new events that are uh, like that showed up in this file, and it's capable of merging new events into that file, and we're kind of getting continuous synchronization between components using the file that is stored in the Dropbox. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is possible simply because we're using our events as published language for not only for the public communication but also for the persistence. But since usually like the persistence is something that private and is messy. But in this case, persistence is solid and evolution-friendly. I think what's going to be cool about that is having that common shared language for anything to send events to is probably one of the areas that most other systems struggle, and that is it's about clearing your mind and getting it out of your head, and you want as many easy ways to get whatever's on your mind out of your mind and into your system. So I'd love it if I could be driving around and hit the button on my steering wheel and talk to my car real quick and send a text message into the event system that just says something and and it uh, goes into my inbox waiting for me to process it. Yeah, absolutely. So, so as long as we like expose this published language via some simple API, multiple integration comp- components, multiple integration suits can be built on top and they'll be able to exploit other full capabilities of the system or only parts of these uh, capabilities and push the functionality of the system into different areas where nobody would ever think of before, for, like adding a component to your uh, car or to your iPhone or whatever, where you talk and this component would only be responsible for uh, recording this idea, for getting this idea and pushing it uh, into the inbox on the server. Yep. And just because uh, we're coming up on an hour here in a second, um, I had a couple of questions about what you've already covered, and then maybe we can decide to keep going and spend 20 more minutes or wrap up what we've covered and what we're doing next. It's uh, I'm fine with either. But one thing about subdomains, you brought up the concept of a subdomain when you were talking about the other bounded context. Is the bounded context the modeling term word in DDD and the subdomains the actual implementation of a bounded context? Okay, both bounded context and subdomains, they are coming from domain-driven design. Mm-hmm. What's the difference then? Uh, bounded context, it's the current problem. Subdomain, it's the solution. Uh, and, so, and sometimes you might discover that the problems, ideally, will have one solution per one problem space. Got it. It feels like a natural fit. However, in legacy systems or in complex systems that have been evolving without really really deep look into the situation, uh, you can have solutions that kind of overlap multiple problems, or if they are powerful, powerful enough, and a solution will have a collision of multiple languages. For instance, if you have a wiki that is used to capture information from both marketing department, sales department, and the development de- department in one place. Hmm. So you'll have multiple people if they're working with the same document, conflicting with each other. In this case, Wikipedia, well, local wiki, is a solution to the problem of information capture. However, it tries to solve this problem in a uniform way and apply it to three different problem areas. Yeah. And so the context map makes this a distinction between existing 
problems and existing and potentially future solutions, it makes this stuff apparent. In other words, when you're looking at the context map, bounded context is like a, an area that is populated by people with the same skin color, with the same language, with the same favorite beer type. Mm-hmm. And subdomains are existing country boundaries, existing region boundaries. And ideally, we would want to have a subdomain as a, uh, like as a solution to the problem, uh, matching to the existing problems. So ideally, you, if you have a group of people that love the same type of beer, ideally, they'll be living in the same country. Mm-hmm. However, like we're living in not in the ideal world, and it might happen due to the historical reasons, that some people will be living in Belgium, some people will be living in Germany, uh, some people will be living in France. Right. And if by looking at the map, if looking at uh, by looking at the current geopolitical situation, we at some point find that the power of beer becomes so important, uh, and the power of uh, these people having close relations to each other be, becomes really important. So we either go to Oktoberfest or we establish a new country called like beer country, which will be a separate subdomain. <laughs> uh, and context map, it doesn't represent actually the future scenario of, of conquering the world. It just represents the current situation. It's okay. like tactical map. Uh, we use it to get a clear perspective of what are the boundaries of the problems, what are the pr- like kind of clusters of problems that fit well together, and what are the existing and planned solutions to these problems. And we identify the problem areas by looking uh, or bounded contexts by looking at the language, by looking at usage groups, by looking at the organizational units, by by using it, by looking at existing methodologies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And we identify subdomains by looking at the existing solutions. I see. And don't necessarily fit well bounded contexts. Solutions may be horrible; they may out, be outdated, and they may be strangling the entire company. But they're still there. And if you want to develop in this area, uh, you need to can take this into the consideration. You don't need to like current context map, but at least you need to be aware of that. I see. Cool. Okay. And so when we're talking about the bounded context and subdomains, one more important thing is actually their relations and how they kind of interact. So for instance, we have core domain and subdomain or client subdomain and occasional subdomain that depend on that. And if a core domain is being developed and delivered by uh, an evil team, by an evil team that hates everybody, they can really screw everybody up by changing the language, by changing their uh, their code, and breaking everybody down the stream. Mm-hmm. Like stream, if you are living upstream and you throw junk into the water, everybody who is drinking water downstream will hate you. But maybe they won't be able to do anything. <laughs> so, while well, looking at the context map, we propose in advance the solution to this problem by saying, hey, we'll publish a shared kernel. And this shared kernel, it's like not even a subdomain, but it's a tool that helps to fix, to stabilize the interaction between core domain and subdomains. And actually, by saying, by introducing the shared kernel into the uh, context map, uh, it also gave us the idea that this shared kernel can be used to develop uh, additional tools, additional subdomains that will help, for instance, to capture ideas while somebody is driving. 
everyone can look at the sample picture that we're going to take a snapshot of this diagram. But if you're listening, you can't actually see what we're talking about. So I'll just describe it really quickly. So we're using a shared drawing tool. We have a top rectangle that has the the majority of our stuff in it. The top rectangle on the right has this core getting things done domain, the context that we're the ubiquitous language that we've been talking about the whole episode. That's the thing that we don't want to screw up because we'll screw everybody up down the river. It's got a little shared kernel box attached to it. And on the left-hand side, Renat has uh, a rectangle for a web client subdomain and another rectangle for occasional subdomain with arrows pointing to that shared kernel that we want to keep sort of fixed and consistent with our commands and event messages that others are using so we don't screw them up. And then at the very top of that, we have this overlapping uh, rectangle that says user management subdomain that is part of our domain, but kind of leaks over. Uh, it's kind of a generic solution, but it leaks in, you know, the Google the Google stuff we talked about or however we solve authentication and stuff. And at the bottom, we have sort of this detached rectangle that we talked about earlier, which is that potential subdomain of gamification, the hobbyist language, et cetera. That's, that's literally what we're looking at. Mm-hmm. Cool. So we've got a, the beginnings of a shared uh, electronic context map that we've been talking about. We've got the beginnings of a basic ubiquitous language that we talked about earlier. How should we wrap this particular episode up, and then what, where should we go next? Because I realize we might be just cutting off in the middle of what we wanted to do, but we're at an hour and five minutes, and uh, that's getting a little long for you guys. So. Okay, so the next step would be actually we really identified the most important parts. We know where where we want to start by looking at the context map because we know that the most important stuff is shared kernel and core domain. And everything else can be delivered uh, delivered afterwards. Mm -hmm. So, and because we know that the important thing is that core domain, the getting things done core domain, when I switch back to our shared Google Docs of the, the language we have, and I'm doing that now so that I can look at the shared language that we had earlier as well as my initial sketch. I know I have questions in there that I wanted to clarify. I just need to get it on my screen. Okay. So it, when we go back to the Google Docs ubiquitous language, we just have that inbox, action, project, context, and folder. And when I look at my diagram, those big circles that I started with at, at the beginning or not before I started adding a bunch of stuff came right out of the, the book, really. it's I've got stuff. I've got the collect and capture bubble. I've got the process circle. I've got the organize circle, the do circle, and the review circle. Those all seem to be part of that core domain. And do you believe we've captured all of the words needed to deal with all of those major major steps? Or are we? do we just do uh, collect and process so far? Uh, so all we've done currently, and we captured five most important words. Mm-hmm. Maybe not even verbs, but five most important terms. And these terms can probably be represented as value objects or something like this down the road. Obviously, the entire language, it will contain multiple commands and events. Right. And these commands and events will include verbs. And some of the verbs, if you've mentioned, are in your context map. So capture item, maybe, or capture action. Organize, well, probably organize would involve commands like move uh, action to the project or our name project, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So uh, the next step is to actually uh, take this uh, ubiquitous language or well, the beginnings of the ubiquitous language and try to capture the domain by uh, finally digging into the DSL tool by, uh, and by starting to sketch out the commands 
but now hopefully we'll have much clearer understanding of what we want to do that because we know that we're establishing shared kernel that will, may, will be used by other subdomains and that this shared kernel will be used to drive the core domain. Mm -hmm. Would that be the next logical step for us? The next action is to, for my homework, would be take these most five most important words that we think we have, see if as I'm starting to create more of the detail in the messages in the DSL tool, if those five words still make sense, if the story seems to be uh, coming out right when I'm reading it, and, and you know those kinds of things. Yes, just continue developing the language, continue developing the stories, while trying to use these first words consistently and see if some word uh, pops out and needs to be replaced. What would you classify, because I think if, if the listeners just looked at the OmniFocus or the diagram in the book, like if, if they were really being lazy and they only looked at that one page, that tries to lay out this whole workflow that summarizes the whole system that we're trying to implement. And you see these other words, and I'm curious, just sort of cheating ahead, like how we're going to probably end up manifesting that stuff in code. For example... When you look at the workflow, it says, okay, you're collecting stuff into your inbox. Then you got to decide, is it trash? Does it go on my someday maybe? Does it go in my reference? Do I delegate it? Do I do it? Do I defer it? You know, those kinds of things. What do you think things like delegate, defer, someday maybe, reference, what do you think those are going to end up being in, in our language and in code? Oh, chances are they'll not even show up in the language. Because this methodology, it represents human actions, human perspective of a system. And we're actually developing the software backend that will allow humans to implement this methodology mm -hmm. and supporting the most required and while supporting the things where humans are not really good at. Mm -hmm. For instance, we can let humans to arrange the projects and to arrange the folders and contacts so that they'll represent getting things on methodology exactly. Mm -hmm then we'll allow them, we'll simplify their life by using like the context and filtering so that when they look at the project A or when they set up specific filter, they'll be able to see the next most important thing that can be done within all the contexts that belong to home. Mm -hmm. So uh, the homework uh, for the listeners and for anybody who's interested would be actually to try to look at the context maps uh, that we've captured at the vocabulary and try to do the way we were doing in the first module of being the worst podcast to capture potential commands and events and uh, maybe start coding, start doing some uh, aggregates with event sourcing. Obviously, be ready, be prepared that this stuff will be thrown away because we're not coding the real-world stuff. We're just trying to capture the domain model. Mm -hmm. And the domain model is done multiple times. Cool, yeah. So it's just like we did early, in the early days of the factory, do the exact same thing uh, to try to do that with the DSL and see what pops out. And then I guess we'll discuss that next time and continue refining this uh, next time and probably even another time again to because now that we know the importance of getting the core domain pretty right and not changing it much once we lock it in, uh, these several iterations are worth it. Yep, definitely. Awesome. Uh, Renat, uh, anything else on this one? Mm, well, hope that the explanations were not too confusing. In the episode notes, we'll add exact definition of the published language and shared kernel because I really messed them up uh, while talking about them. Aside from that, if you encounter, and you'll probably encounter all my other mess-ups and confusions and uh, problems and overcomplications, 
please don't hesitate to post questions, to provide the feedback. This stuff really helps us to keep on going. Yep. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Yeah, so that's beingtheworst.com. Make your comments on the specific episode. We realize this episode sort of a semi-random conversation. We're going all over the place, but that's basically what you would do in a conference room if you were sitting together. You just kind of have to talk through these things, let the people that like to yap like me say whatever they're saying and try to understand what the heck they're saying so that you can come to an agreed-upon language that will make sense going forward. And that's uh, sort of what you got a taste of in an over-an-hour episode. So thanks for hanging in there with us. We'll see you guys next time. We're at Being the Worst on Twitter. And uh, we're out of here. See you or not. Bye-bye.